This is Dr. Rob Harder with the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, making your world better. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? What are the biggest challenges? What are the biggest obstacles? How should nonprofits fundraise in an economy that is constantly changing? All of these reasons combined led me to start this show. And it's my hope that through this series, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear from effective leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy the show as together we hear how they are making their world better. Do your investments align with your values? Well, now is the time to increase your triple bottom line to better people, profit, and the planet. Amalgamated Investment Services, a division of America's socially responsible bank, has a deep-seated commitment to affecting systemic change through investments. By specializing in triple bottom line impact, they can help navigate the common hurdles experienced by nonprofit organizations and foundations, from creating a sustainable policy statement to avoiding the all-too-prevalent greenwashing. If you'd like to join them in creating a more just and sustainable world, please visit amalgamatedbank.com slash nonprofit investing. Securities offered through Infinex Investments Incorporated, member FINRA and SIPC. Amalgamated Investment Services is a trade name of Amalgamated Bank. Infinex and Amalgamated Bank are not affiliated. As a leader of a nonprofit, you know firsthand how important it is to have the right technology, tools, and strategies in place to achieve your mission. Well, that's where Heller Consulting comes in. Heller Consulting is a premier consulting firm that specializes in helping nonprofit organizations achieve their goals through effective technology strategy and implementation. Whether you need help with technology roadmaps, CRM strategy, Salesforce, or Microsoft implementations, Team Heller has you covered. With Heller Consulting on your side, you can trust that you'll have the support you need to make the most of your organization's technology resources. Visit teamheller.com slash NLP to learn more. Again, that's teamheller.com slash NLP to learn more. Hello, podcast listeners. Thanks for tuning in today. Well, I wanted to first start out by sending out a quick sneak peek about a very special panel discussion I'm very excited to announce. I've invited some of the top nonprofit thinkers today to join me in order to talk about the state of nonprofits. We will talk about the challenge of hiring quality staff and retaining them, of how to raise funds in an environment where the trends of giving to nonprofits is going the wrong direction, just to name a few. The content is so good, I've created actually two podcast episodes out of them, and they'll drop soon, so stay tuned. Now, on to today's show. You know, regardless of the size of your nonprofit, you want to make the best decisions you can as a leader, right? Well, not only do you want to make the best strategic decisions for today, you want to make ones that set your organization on the right trajectory for future success. Well, two areas of your organization that are essential in making good decisions are these, your intended impact and your theory of change. If you're not sure what those mean or why they're important, my guest today will share both why your intended impact and your theory of change are absolutely critical to the success of your nonprofit. My guest today is Preeta Nayak. She is a researcher and partner at BridgeSpan Group. I think you're going to really enjoy today's show. I am so excited to have Preeta Nayak on the show today. Thanks for taking time to be on the show. Of course. Really happy to be here, Rob. You bet. Well, I'm excited to take a bit of a deep dive into these really critical topics impacting every nonprofit, really. And that is this, how to make the right strategic decisions that help your organization not only today, but will also help it over the long haul. 
So I thought we'd start with just the fact that almost all of my listeners uh, know that their nonprofit, regardless of the size, big, small, or medium, is aimed at solving a major social issue that's often full of complexity, right? I mean, ending hunger, fighting income inequality, providing affordable housing, solving homelessness. These are all complicated issues with lots of layers. And you also, of course, know that. And so you had written an article about decision-making that really examines how nonprofit leaders can make more strategic decisions. So let's start with that. And when it comes specifically to intended impact, define what that means to you and why is it so important? Yeah, absolutely. And so I think that the point that you just made, Rob, about how complex our work is in the nonprofit sector is really critical because I think every organization needs a set of decision tools. But when you are dealing with complexity and human beings, that can, that can be even more necessary. One of the things that we have found in our work is that nonprofit leaders are incredibly inspired by and motivated by the missions of their organizations as they should be. And yet those missions are often too broad and aspirational to be good decision tools. And so the use of something like an intended impact, and we can talk about that in a second, is really valuable in sort of like helping to make the trade-offs that are necessary. So when we use the term intended impact, and that's that you may call it something different, so let's just be clear about that. But when we say that, we're saying, as an organization, who is it that you are focused on? And what is the change you would like to see? What is it you, the shift you would like to see with that population? And where generally is that po- population located? So for example, if, um, uh, if you're dealing with hunger or homelessness, the question might be, you know, are you serving directly those people who are low income, who need support in some way in this moment? Or are you actually focused on the policymakers, the folks who are making decisions about wages or other structural factors? Those are two very legitimate populations to focus on if you're talking about ending hunger or addressing homelessness. But you can imagine that who, depending on the choice, is going to lead to a lot of different decision-making choices for yourself. So through one's intended impact, an organization knows who you're focused on serving, where you're aiming to make that impact, and what specific outcomes you're trying to achieve. So what happens if after analyzing your intended impact, you realize that your organizational decisions as of late are not really matching your intended impact? What do you do next? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a a good moment to step back and, and just understand why is that the case, right? Because there are actually some pretty legitimate reasons why that might be the case. Your intended impact, well, let's say you created an intended impact five years ago, right? And you had a, a really rigorous conversation about that. And today, when you do that kind of reckoning that you're talking about, Rob, you realize you're, you're just not matching up. Well, one reason for that might be that your the needs of your population, the nature of the problem itself has evolved. And so what it means to make an impact may have shifted. We see that a lot. For example, I, I remember working with some organizations in Seattle where the population uh, of the homeless had actually shifted in the time that that organization had existed. And so they were very much serving legitimate needs. It's just that the environment around them had changed. And so that might mean that you should actually revise the intended impact statement. A different a, a thing that I have observed is sometimes the people who have been funding you or supporting you, their focus has changed. So the funder who used to support you 
and maybe continues to support you, they are now asking you to do some things that maybe they weren't asking you before. And that's a real question where you have to ask yourself, hmm, is this the place where we should be changing what we're doing? Or is it a place where we actually need to sort of a little bit move away from that relationship and find some new relationships where the funder will support us on our intended Being in the nonprofit space, one of the biggest questions I get is about grant funding. Nonprofit leaders know that grants can be a very important part of their overall revenue, but knowing how to write grants well and where to find them can leave many of us overwhelmed. Well, it's a good thing my friend Holly Rustic at Grant Writing and Funding creates ways to make grant writing simple and achievable. Well, here's the good news. She is offering you, my listener, a free grant writing class. And of course, she also has her own podcast, Grant Writing and Funding. So I encourage you to visit grantwritingandfunding.com slash Rob for the free grant writing class and find out more about Grant Writing and Funding podcast. Once again, that's grantwritingandfunding.com slash Rob. I like that. And, you know, you point out in your article, this important question of the, the equation really is the organization's theory of change. In other words, uh, talk about this a bit, define it for my audience. And why is this such a critical aspect of making good decisions? This idea of the theory of change that an organization has. Yeah, exactly. So if the intended impact is that the, the who, the where, and the what, the theory of change is really the how. So going back to the complexity we were talking about earlier, there is no one actor or set of activities that is going to address the complex problems that we're all seeking to address. It's going to take a multitude. And so theory of change is actually a moment to ask yourself, what is the role that we want to play in this ecosystem? How is it that we're going to move the needle? And I'll go back to the example before. There are some people who may be moving the needle on policy and structural factors. Others who might be looking to really support those who are immediately in need of service today, both very legitimate, but they're taking very different hows. And that's the thing you're going to want to ask yourself. No, I like that too. Good. Now, in this article, you do mention a couple of organizations who are going through or have gone through this process. Maybe you can highlight one of those organizations. What was the process and what were some of the biggest surprises discovered along the way? Yeah, in um, in the article, we really we profile the YWCA of Boston, which is the the first um, YWCA actually in the U.S. So at the time we worked with them, they had been you know focused on equity issues and supporting women for over 150 years. So very well established organization. Beth Chandler was their relatively new CEO at the time, and what she and her team were finding is that they were doing a lot of good work. They were spread across at least six different programs, about a $3 million budget. And they were actually starting to struggle with how to capture what what they do, how to communicate what they do, and how to make choices across opportunities. And so this was an opportunity to step back and focus, which they felt was going to be important for their, you know, laying the groundwork for the next 150 years. And so what they did is actually ask these exact same questions about intended impact and theory of change. And in particular, I think an an aha for them is was that they, in talking with others in the space in Boston and really understanding that landscape, realized that there was a particular role they could play for the pipeline of emerging leaders, emerging women leaders of color in the Boston area. And not only supporting those women directly, but again, 
asking themselves, how can we make the institutions of Boston more effective in supporting those women as well? So there was a, there was a, a little bit of a pivot from what they had done before, but a place where they felt like they had the assets and the reputation to really make a difference. Well, and certainly in that mix, there's times where nonprofit, as they're thinking about change, as they're thinking about what is our intended impact, there are times where a nonprofit needs to just reboot uh, critical aspects of their organization in order to really continue moving forward. In your opinion and your experience, what typically triggers a reboot of an organization's intended impact and theory of change? And I would venture that a worldwide pandemic like COVID that we just went through a couple of years ago uh, may qualify as one of those triggers. But what are some of the other things that may trigger something like a true reboot? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a great it's a great question. And of course, the the pandemic pandemic was sort of like all the reasons on steroids, right? So, so but but thankfully, most of these things don't happen quite that way. We experience it in other ways. I, one thing I'll just name is that, and, and, and this will be great for your listeners to know is we are putting out in early June a piece on strategic planning for the sector. And it's, it's the uh, first time in almost 15 years when we've written on this, but we wanted to look across and say, what, what does it take to, to really create an effective strategic plan? And I, and I mentioned that now because the intended impact theory of change is, is, is at the heart of that effective planning. And very oftentimes, the moment to revisit is going to be when you're stepping back to ask yourself about overall strategy and doing that kind of strategic planning. Now, that begs the question, when should you be doing strategic planning, right? And I would say a couple of things to that, right? One is, and again, let's unpack the pandemic nut, right? Because this is where it all happened at once. One is that something in the environment has changed, right? Something about the world you're operating in, the folks you're trying to serve has shifted. And it makes sense to to step back and say, oh, are the activities and the ways that we're using our resources still actually the best way to solve this problem, right? So so something in the environment has changed. Oftentimes, you know, there's some internal shift. So you may have brought on some new leaders, some new team members, and, you know, Simply for alignment's sake, you're going to want to step back and ask yourself, what are we doing here? Does it match the talents that we're bringing to the table and the environment that we're in? And, you know, earlier I mentioned that, that, that Beth and the YWCA team were thinking about like, oh, what should we be saying yes to and what should we be saying no to? I think when you find yourself really struggling with that question, it can be a marker that that maybe there are some aspects of your strategy that need some clarification and and intended impact and theory of change are the base of that. We'll be right back. As a leader of a nonprofit, you know firsthand how important it is to have the right technology tools and strategies in place to achieve your mission. Well, that's where Heller Consulting comes in. Heller Consulting is a premier consulting firm that specializes in helping nonprofit organizations achieve their goals through effective technology strategy and implementation. Whether you need help with technology roadmaps, CRM strategy, Salesforce, or Microsoft implementations, Team Heller has you covered. With Heller Consulting on your side, you can trust that you'll have the support you need to make the most of your organization's technology resources. Visit teamheller.com slash NLP to learn more. Again, that's teamheller.com slash NLP to learn more. Do you want a clear step-by-step system to write grants so that your nonprofit secures funding in a stress-free manner? Well, check out the free grant writing class, How to Write 
winning grants in seven proven steps. You will walk away with seven nuggets of grant writing clarity and a free action workbook so you can start writing higher quality grants today. Just watch this free class now at grantwritingandfunding.com slash Rob. Again, that's grantwritingandfunding.com slash Rob. Do your investments align with your values? Well, now's the time to increase your triple bottom line to better people, profit, and the planet. Amalgamated Investment Services, a division of America's socially responsible bank, has a deep-seated commitment to affecting systemic change through investments. By specializing in triple bottom line impact, they can help navigate the common hurdles experienced by nonprofit organizations and foundations. From creating a sustainable policy statement to avoiding the all-too-prevalent greenwashing. If you would like to join them in creating a more just and sustainable world, please visit amalgamatedbank.com slash nonprofit investing. Again, that's amalgamatedbank.com slash nonprofit investing. Securities offered through Infinix Investments Incorporated, member FINRA and SIPC. Amalgamated Investment Services is a trade name of Amalgamated Bank. Infinex and Amalgamated Bank are not affiliated. I like that. Well, and then as we talk about that, in terms of first steps an organization needs to take really to start moving in a positive direction with both their intended impact and their theory of change, what would be those first steps? Yeah, um, I, I encourage folks to to take a look at if you go to our bridgeband.org site. There's a the article is called you know what are intended impact and theory of change and how do nonprofits use them. So it's pretty pretty self explanatory, and you can skim the article. And there are also what we've tried to do is create a few sort of tools and templates with some thought starter conversation starter questions. It's really interesting, even if you take let's say a, a leadership team and and ask everyone to do the thought exercise, you know, for a half an hour before a team meeting of who do you think we are trying to serve to what end and where? And what do you think the approaches are that we're taking that are the most powerful? It can be a really wonderful conversation to have and see, you know, how aligned are you? You know, what what is it you're saying? What is it? Maybe somebody's noticing that some things you've noticed because they'd sit in a different part of the organization. And so that would be my encouragement is to just start with that simple conversation, maybe have it with uh, some members of your board or some of your funders. You'll, you can learn a lot. Well said. And as people go through that process, they start making those first couple of steps. What have you found over time where there are the most common sticking points? So say they get the process going, they start moving towards adjusting their intended impact, where they start looking at their theory of change and adjusting some things, and then they get stuck. What are some of the most common pitfalls and or sticking points for these organizations that maybe prevent them from really going through the full process where it actually does move the organization in a positive direction? Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, we, we, we can't be naive about this, right? This is, this is hard work and there are trade-offs involved. And so, you know, you can make legitimate arguments as to, again, why you might want to focus on policymakers and why you might want to work on something else. And so I think that it it is good to have robust conversation. It's also good to bring some information and data to the table. So it's rare that you're going to kind of sit in a room and just sort of come up with the right answer. There's something about going out and having conversations with others in the field, which takes a little bit of time, but I think is well worth the investment to really understand where people see your strengths and where people see the opportunities. 
And then sometimes there's also just like bringing some good information to bear, right? If, if you're seeing population shifts, how much is that real? How much is it temporary? What can you learn? What does the data tell you? And, and I'll note that some of these are places where you may have all of the wherewithal to do this yourself, or you might need to hire a little bit of extra help for a period of time to help you do the research you need to do. We've seen clients do, do the full range. Good to know. And I'll make sure for my listeners that all this material that you're referring to is in the show notes and they can click on and link, you know, find out a little bit more information through Richspan and all the, the great resources you provide. Now, another article, as I mentioned at the outset uh, that you've recently uh, written was this. It was an article about how to make decisions more inclusive. And you actually list out five ways that we can make more inclusive decision-making. And I think that's really, really important. I think not just because of the kind of the moment we're in right now, but I think in general, right, if we're going to really make sure our nonprofit is including everybody's voices, and particularly with those when, when we're serving a wider audience and a more diverse audience, and we're getting the next generation coming in to, to come into key positions of leadership, it's even more critical to make sure we are inclusive in the way we make decisions. So talk about that. What are the five ways? Maybe we can start unpacking each one of those five ways, but give us an overview and how you come up with the five. Yeah. Well, just to start with your final point about, about how, we, how we came up with this, I think you know, the period of 2020, 2021 really put into sharp relief anybody in a leadership role, how important it was to both be inclusive and more transparent, but also make, you know, some, somewhat novel decisions relatively quickly, right? And so it was, it was a bit of a, um, you know, trial by fire, so to speak, in decision-making that many, many folks went through. We really stepped back and said, okay, what, what are we learning from that? Some of which I think we all knew already, but some of which came into sharp relief. So a, a few things that, that, that I'll name up front. One is that in talking with leaders and staff of various teams, what we heard is there is often a confusion between inclusive decision-making and consensus decision-making. So it is... There are, there are organizations that are very effective at making decisions by consensus, but it is, it is quite an art to do that well and takes a lot of practice. There can be a um, desire to think like a dis, there is a decision maker and that's it. Well, in our experience, there's actually, there are actually quite a few different roles that are important in any decision process. There's an acronym RAPID and, and some tools that we've actually borrowed and adapted from Bain and Company, the letters R-A-P-I-D, stand for the different roles. Unfortunately, it's not the order in which the roles happen. So, so that's a little bit of the confusion. The D is for the, de- the decision maker, the sort of role you, you know, right? We all know. The R at the front end is actually the recommender. There is somebody who's probably doing the bulk of the work who's actually soliciting I, the input, from folks to actually come up with a good recommendation. The A is a role that doesn't always exist, but it's um, it's the person who may have to approve. So this is often when there is a really bright line, like a budgetary threshold or an HR rule or legal compliance at play. You may need an approve. And P, the last letter, is perform. And we we name that only because it's particularly important when you're gathering input that people who have to actually perform the duties of whatever this decision is, are engaged. Mapping out the roles and that rapid is one. 
The second thing you find when you start to do these, this role definition is that you need to just think about where in the, at what level of the organization should this decision sit? Too often organizations that started off relatively small, you know, you're sitting around the kitchen table together, equivalent, have grown up, but the decision authority is still coming back on everything to two or three people. And that's bad for the two or three people. And it's bad for everybody else. So really actually figuring out what level does this decision need to reside is an important next step. Related to that, and this is the third thing is, as you distribute decision making, set up those new decision makers for success. Too often what happens is, I've had decision authority, Rob. I say, you know what, this should really sit with Rob and I give you the decision. But what I fail to do is give you any of the like experience and wisdom that I have from my five past years of making this decision. And so you're a little bit left on your own, right? And so there's a little bit of like, make sure, Prita, that you tell Rob, what are the things that the criteria you've tended to use when you make this decision? Or what are the watch outs? What's the, what's the thing to think about? And so to really set up your newer decision makers for success, don't leave them sort of hanging out to dry. The fourth area is input. We talked about this earlier, just making sure that you have authentic input. One of the things we hear all the time, everyone on this, you know, listening in will have experienced this is you get asked for input and you get the real sense that they didn't really care, right? The decision was already already made. The, the last thing I'll note is a, a through line in all of this is that another challenge sometimes we face is folks can, can assume that an inclusive process Will always will always result in an equitable decision, and that's not necessarily true. You can include lots of different representatives for various groups and still end up with a decision that is actually exacerbating inequities in your organization or outside of your organization. And so, we really encourage folks to think about race forward has a framework, uh, a choice points framework. They call it that we, we encourage folks to look at because it really prompts you to ask questions about any set of options you've created to see what are the equity implications of this before you actually settle on a decision. No, thanks for that. A lot of good information there. And again, I'll have this article linked to, to in my show notes. So a couple of follow-up on that, follow-up questions. How does a leader attempt to really listen to all of you know, the input and to try to be tuned in as much as possible. But at the end of the day, right, they're, the leader and the leadership group will make a decision and may not be exactly what every single person in the room wants, particularly as the organization gets bigger and bigger. It's impossible, right, to, to do exactly everything what everyone else wants to do individually. How does a leader or a leadership group of an organization make a decision, but communicate back to say, hey, we heard you, but we had to make a decision and sorry, you know, we weren't able to, you know, accommodate everything, but we had to make this path forward because we feel like this matches best our strategic plan or our mission or whatever and fill in the blanks. How do they do that dance between really making a good decision that finally is best for the mission, but still communicates genuinely that they were listening to everybody's input? Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not easy to do, to do well. And, and I will name that I think what you just, just described, that dynamic is true, whether it's the leadership team that's been designated as the decision-making body, or it's a, it can be a committee made up of people across the organization, or it can be a particular individual in a department. 
you know, all, there are a lot of situations and groups that are going to find themselves kind of feeling a little stuck in this way. One thing that I've heard from, from leaders and staff over the last couple of years over and over again is that, is that when, when you have that decision making role, one thing to, to try to get comfortable with is these, these are complex decisions and it is highly unlikely you're going to end up with a decision where everybody's happy, right? There are some legitimate choices to be made. Some set of folks will not get exactly what they want. And you just have to own that, right? And you have to know that going into it. And you can say that coming out as well. Like I know not everyone is going to feel great about this. And I, you know, but but this is the decision. You know, we've gone through a process that we laid out, that we agreed upon, and and we and we want to, you know, we need to now like kind of lean in and make this decision work together. The couple of things you can also do that I think are helpful is again to go to some of what we were talking about earlier. Many teams find it helpful to be explicit about the criteria they're using to make a decision up front. So nobody's surprised that, for example, in making a choice about return to work and how often you need to be in the office, one of the things we're going to, you know, teams, lots of lots of organizations came up with criteria to, to make that decision. It ranged from things, very legitimate things like, we need to understand how does this affect the people we serve, right? We need to understand how does this affect our budget, right? We need to understand how does this affect the health and well-being of our staff. These are all the things we are going to be considering, and we'll be analyzing those in different ways, right? And this is how we're going to do it. And then at the end of the day, we'll make a call. So try to be clear about the criteria that we're using as much as possible up front. And then certainly when you say, this is why we made this decision, you can say like, Ultimately, we found that, you know, X was true and that that is something we hold so dear that we felt like it was important to, to use this choice. Very helpful. And okay, another scenario, say the decision-making body makes a decision and it's a tough decision and say three months down the road, but so not right away, but say three months into the decision, it's clear that it was not the right decision. And you've got the naysayers on the sidelines, so to speak. How does a decision-making body and or a leadership group pivot and recognize, you know what, that was the wrong decision. We need to relook at this and take a different direction. How do they do that well without losing face on the one hand, but also realizing, you know what, if we just are stubborn and stay in this direction, it actually is going to end up impacting our mission in a negative way. And everyone, of course, will just grow in their disagreement against us as the decision-making body. So how do they pivot when they know they've made the wrong decision? Yeah. I mean, I, I in general, find nonprofit leaders, you know, really open to, you know, being honest and candid when, when, you know, when they've made a mistake, right? When, when something, and the thing that I, maybe I, I wouldn't even say made a mistake is probably not even the right framing because I think many times you just learn new information. You know, you made the best decision possible at the time with the information you had. You now have more information and it would be foolish to sort of just stand by and ignore that information, right? So you have new information. I think that the thing I would, I'll, I'll just name two things though that, that are important to be careful about. 
One is, or or just to know about, one, one is sometimes you know you're going to learn a lot during a period and you can actually name that there is going to be like a period in which we are going to move forward with task A and we are going to see how it goes. And then at the end of a year, we are going to revisit or whatever the right time frame is. And so when you know that you're going to be learning a lot, and again, I'm going to go back to the like return to work example, because I think a lot of people have said this, like when you know you're going to learn a lot over the, the, you know, the first year of trying a hybrid work policy, allow yourself the grace to say, we will look at this again. Now, we, we may stay with it because it's, it's largely going well, but we are going to give ourselves both permission and also the responsibility to sort of collect data along the way and revisit. The thing I will caution against is the thing that we all need to avoid is a decision gets made in a room and then the next day in the hallway, people are already starting to undermine and second guess and come up with alternatives to that. That is not, that is not okay, right? You have to give, you have to respect the process that the decision makers went through. Presumably they, they, they came up with a thoughtful process and and you participated in it, and now you need to just sort of own that. And you need to give that choice a chance to survive. Because otherwise, honestly, like you just can't function as an organization because there will always be some set of people then who are undermining and you just end up in a in a in a place that even in the medium term is going to have a hard time functioning well. That's a great example. Well, again, very fun conversation, very interesting conversation. I have a feeling my listeners want to get to know a little bit more about you and all the good articles and, and the work you do at BridgeSpan. So how can they best connect with you and find out a little bit more about BridgeSpan? Yeah, well, I urge folks to visit our, our website. Again, I think that in addition to the strategic planning article that's coming out in a couple of weeks, the best thing is to do is to sign up for our newsletter where we every month will, it's the called the Leaders Matter newsletter. And we also have a knowledge newsletter. And what that means is every month you'll be getting an update on the latest set of tools we've created, the latest set of insights we've developed and research we've done. And sometimes I'll be part of that mix. So you'll get to know me a little bit better too. Oh, perfect. That's great. Well, it's been fun. We've had several people from Bridgespan on this podcast and every time it's very fascinating. And again, applaud your work. You have, you're very data-driven in a good way and you provide a lot of good data for us nonprofit leaders. So thank you so much. Of course, it's my pleasure. I, I um, look forward to, to more, more to come and questions from folks as they, as they engage in this work. We learn a lot from our audiences as well. Oh, glad to hear it. Well, again, Preeta, thank you so much for taking time to be on the show today. Thank you. Hey, friends, well, I wanted you to know that this podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to other podcasts. I also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. This will actually help us get this great content out to more nonprofit leaders just like you. You can also join the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast community, find other resources and interviews of past guests all on my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Well, thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep making your world better.